From Jiva Theater Center in Rochester, New York, this is Out of the Rehearsal Hall. It's the third season of the podcast, and we're back to celebrate courageous storytelling and our own power to make change and to shape a better world for us all. Our guests this season are artists, scholars, and curators of content from around the country and right here in Rochester, the ancestral and occupied territory of the Onondawaga, or as we say in English, the Seneca people. My name is Jenny Werner, and I am Jiva's literary director and resident dramaturg, and I look forward to bringing you a season of evocative conversations out of the rehearsal hall. Welcome to the first prologue episode of Out of the Rehearsal Hall. Before we get into our conversations today, a little context. As many of our listeners know, before COVID came in to change the way we all live, we had a long-running and very popular program at Jiva called Prologue. An hour before every performance on the Wilson stage, audience members were welcomed into the theater for a 25-minute conversation about the show they were about to see. Someone, usually an actor, would talk to the audience and give them insights into artistic process, historical context, or sometimes secrets to look for in the play. But with COVID restrictions in place, we can't produce this program in the theater right now. So I'm excited to welcome you to this digital version of Prologue, which you can listen to at any time, even if you're not coming to see the show right now. Today, we're going to hear from several people, including the director and cast of Viet Gone and a special guest who I'll introduce shortly. Gwyn's Viet Gone is a love story that takes place at the end of the Vietnam War, and it centers the experience of Vietnamese characters during this time in a way that most stories about that war, in America at any rate, just don't do. So if you're coming to see Viet Gone, be sure to check out the editorial in the Playbill, written by yours truly, about some of the possibly unexpected ways that this play reframes the way we think about stories from Vietnam. Now I'd like to introduce you to Ginny Huynh, who was born in Saigon and lives in Webster, where she is a realtor and is also, at the time of this recording, running for Webster Town Council. Ginny and I met in her Webster Realty office, and you'll notice that there are quite a few noises in the room that the microphone picked up, but her story is really worth hearing, even with those distractions. When you see Viet Gone, be on the lookout for places where Ginny's story connects with the story of the characters in the play and where their stories diverge. So tell me um, a little bit about your the beginning of your life. Where, you, where were you born? Okay, I was born in um, Saigon in Vietnam in a very prominent family. Okay. So, and very privileged. And then um, we have to move because of the war. Yeah. You know, it started in 1975 where everything yeah. changes. What was your life like before the war started? I know you said it was a very, you were born into a very prominent family. But... Yeah, I'm very privileged because, like I said, you know, in Vietnam, we don't have middle class. So if you were fortunate to be born in upper class, then you get everything. And that's what happened. I was very fortunate to be born in a privileged in upper class. <laughs> and we have chauffeurs, we have maids, you know, um, you name it. What do you remember about that time? Well, I remember the time was like I said, I, I very I have a very happy 
um, childhood. Yeah. You know, my father is a lieutenant colonel in the South Vietnamese Army. And um, my mom is a business owner, entrepreneur. That's where my, you know, grandmother and everything. And we live at uh, 11 houses, the building that my grandfather built. He's an architect. And he's, um, he's a dual citizenship, French and um, Vietnamese. So he goes six months in Paris and then six months in Vietnam. So he's uh, he built eleven houses and then whoever got married, like my uncle, got married first because he's the oldest. And then my grandmother gave that house to him and then my aunt and then my mom. She's number five, so she got the middle. Wow. And that's how you know we all live together. You know, it's Vietnamese culture. Yeah. So um. And um, it was nice. You know, we we. I played with my cousin, and I believe what we were celebrating, because even though the new year is already over, but we still celebrate anyway, because, you know, like I said, there's nothing to do there when you're rich, and you just hang out with your cousin, right. and, you know, and just play and stuff. And my father came home one day, I think during uh, lunchtime, and he said, we have to pack, we have to leave. And, you know, I thought it was a joke. Mm. So I'm still playing with my cousin and my mom, you know, and then my dad said, no, we have to leave now. And I remember turning around and looking, I saw like my father, Jeep. he has, um, we got, you know, a couple cars. My mom has her own car. My dad has his own Jeep, but he always loved Jeep. And there was a couple of soldiers with guns and everything I was on the side. And there's the, you know, his chauffeur, you know, um, that taking my father and he's still in his uniform. He got, we got to pack, we got to go now. And he was like screaming. My dad never screamed. Wow. And then literally never screamed at all. But this time he did. He said, we we have to leave. So we just, we grabbed whatever we could in that minute, you know, and right there. And then my, unfortunately, my uncles and my aunt didn't believe my dad because my dad only a lieutenant colonel. And they thought, you know, Vietnam, because we all have been so good. We all, we fought the Chinese, we fought the Japanese, we fought the French, you know, and we always win. Mm. So we probably, you know, it just, it's not going to happen with the communists. So they didn't want to leave. They want to stay behind. And my cousins wanted to come, you know, with my parents. And my aunt and my uncle said, no, don't go because you don't know, you know, what's the future, what's going on out there. So I better to be safe here. Would you know that your home is here? So, and that's what we did. We grabbed whatever we could, jam on my father's Jeep. Um, then we drove to this area and we were like, I saw a whole bunch of soldiers, you know, standing around and guarding and stuff. And they checked ID to make sure that you're not a communist or something. And they saw my dad, and they salute to him. And we, you know, they let him pass the gate. And that's what it is. And then. Wow. And so were you, before before that happened and before your dad came home, was he actively fighting in the war? No. Um, he, like, uh, my father, we were fortunate. He was in combat with the combat, you know, uh, in the battle um, to defend the, um, our country, mm -hmm. you know, against the communists. And he, cause since he's a Green Beret, he always been stationed outside of Saigon. You know, and all the battles that you saw on TV, like the Hamburger yeah. Hills and all this, the, the really, really um, scary battles, you know, 
he were in it. Oh. You know, he would tell him, you know, he was, he was in it. And then he, he told a story, you know, um, that's why when he's, he, he doesn't eat crabs or, or, or um, lobster, because the river actually red. Oh, and wow. And you see body. Oh. I got goosebumps just to, you know, just to, I don't see it, but I can vision it. Right. That's why my father didn't talk about it. He never talked about it when we were young. But when we came to America, and he worked really hard, you know, and we wanted to spend time until we asked him. Yeah. And then he started telling us as we get right. older, so this way we don't forget. Right, right, you know? absolutely. So were you surprised that he came home, that he was even home that day? Well, yeah, he's, um, he was home. Oh, I'm sorry, I got sidetracked. Then when he was in combat for like 13 years, um, my grandfather afraid that he could die. So he asked my um, great uncle, which is the prime minister of Vietnam, um, he helped my dad, he bring my dad home so that he could be in the office. Okay. So he's not in the battle anymore. Great. So he was, so he was at he home. Was, yeah. So he was in the office, but uh -huh. he didn't like it, you know, much. He right. He had to be out there fighting, serving, mm -hmm. and you know, doing something that make a difference. Right. But, so he was in the office, and when everybody fled, you know, um, he see, he saw it. He go, well, his boss left. You know, my dad is the only one around, and he's like, what's going on? Right. And then he did some calls, and they said leave. And he have a lot of American friends, and they told him, they, they said, leave now. Okay. Leave now, or else yeah. you, you, you're not going to get out. Right. So that's what happened. Yeah. So that's why my father, you know, came home and picked us up. Right. And so you you left your house with whatever, was it sort of whatever yeah, you whatever could whatever carry? Yeah, whatever we can carry. Yeah. Yeah, whatever we, we grab. Yeah. <laughs> and how so. did you get, like, how did you get from Vietnam? Like, what was it? What, did you get on a helicopter or a boat or what did you do? Well, actually, we went, we went on the boat because mm -hmm. my, my father, when he came back to Vietnam, um, one of his duty was he's an assistant in command to help um, oversee the safety of all the merchant ships that come in and out of Vietnam mm -hmm. uh, port in Saigon yeah. port. So that was you know, and he took one of the ships. You know that was um, available at the time mm -hmm. for our family, and then he gave the rest to um, his soldiers or whoever wanted to leave Vietnam. Right. Because right. Yeah, he was a command, I believe there's seven ships. The, the, oh the, wow. The, the sixth big one and the small, the one you know, and he that's what he took. He took the smaller one. Uh huh. And where did you go from? So you you got on that little ship and went. Well, like I said, my my father very kind. Yeah. You know, I mean, God bless his soul. He's in heaven now, but he's 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 generous as a leader and he's generous as a human being. So, like I said, when that day come, he told everybody, whoever stay behind, you know, gonna get because he took. He said, if you want to get on the ship, you have to leave your money, you know, because your Vietnam money is, cannot do right. anything overseas. Or right. We don't know what's gonna happen, right? So he said, you should leave your money for the people who stay behind. Yeah. So they all took the money and leave it. You know, I never see money like pile, you know, the, oh my God, it's like a little hill, you know. Wow. It's, it's, but that's very nice of those people too. They said, you know, they don't need it. And my dad had a good idea. So when he took his ship, we we went, but like, again, I was very young. Sure. Okay. So this is like, to me right now, it's like a dream, yeah. but I know it's happened. Yeah. 
So, you know, and we all had to like be quiet and, and lay down and he put some kind of like a blanket or something over us, you know, and then we went into like a little creek instead of like the um, big harbor because he was afraid that the camera is going to be out there waiting. Mm -hmm. So we went, you know, at the little, I don't know, little s small river or something that leads to the ocean. Okay. And then, but as we go there, I heard like a couple shots too because his, his soldier was shooting back to the communists on the, the shoreline. They saw oh, us, wow. they shoot. Yeah. You know, they shoot at, at my father's ship. But luckily, it was metal and we have guns, so we fought back. And they were shooting like grenades and stuff. But you know what? It was so lucky. It didn't hit us. It just, you know, like that. And I, I remember I look up, my dad would don't, don't look up, stay in the blanket. Don't yeah. look up. So I put a blanket all, you know, over us. So we don't see anything, but we hear things. Right. And then we from there, we went to, um, we went outside and uh, we call it um, the open sea, you know, um, and that's between Vietnam and the international water. But then my father's ship broke. It's oh, no. got busted. Oh no. And then with the current, it's making us drift back to Vietnam. <laughs> oh, scary. So we like a lot of praying. Yeah. That's really scary. Yeah. And then, you know, then we lucky we saw like those, um, they call boat people, you know, yes. the fishing boat. Uh -huh. They and they have people in it already too, so but then they saw us and they needed um, food, and they needed protection, you know. And they saw my dad have soldiers with guns and everything. Right. So my father made you know uh, a deal with them, let us go onto their ship, and then they can get whatever you know they want. But at halfway they changed their mind because that ship, you know, we have. Um, uh, what is it? Uh, my father have because of the ammunition and all the stuff that we have, it's heavy, uh -huh. and so something. And they they said, oh, you know, they not they don't want us to be over there. They because there was mind. too much weight. Yeah, they, they oh, changed no. their mind. So my my father <laughs> told the, the soldier to like wrap the um the, uh, the ropes, you know, uh -huh. our ship and their ship because we metal, and they keep banging. So if they don't let us over. Then everybody died, right? The ship right, right, right. So he go, you don't honor your word. You have to honor your words. You know, my father very honored. You know, um, he's an honorable man. When he gave his word, he honored. Right. So and this guy, you know, and then he wanted money too. And my father, what money are we gonna have? You know, <laughs> look at it. We only have this. You wanted food, we got food. Right. We have no money because he gave left all the money back home. Right. You know, for those. So anyhow, then we. Um, they finally let us jump over, so then we jump over there, and we stay like this corner. And I'm telling you, the ship was so low because there's so many people already on it. It's like a few inches above the water. Oh my if, gosh! If there was storm or something, we probably would have died. Yeah. Uh -huh. You know. And my father, cause like we all like squeezing it, and so he had to sit this way, with his hands sticking out. Mm -hmm. You know, so my mom and my sister, and my brother, we all, because like I said, the very, every space is very, very small. Right. And so we all like scrambling. And um, I mean, it was quite an experience. And we were like that for at least maybe three or four days. Wow. Um, because at the time, I think the American, they're not so sure what to do with us. Yeah. You know, and um, we've, there was one big ship that you know found us and they pulled us and they gave food 
But unfortunately, like I said, there's too many of us. By the time the food got to my family, there's no more left. Oh. And I remember there was like one little bowl of rice or something, you know. And For your whole family. My whole share. family. And, mm. and here, like I said, we're so privileged. Right. We never ever thought in a million years we would be like that. Right. You know, be starving. Right. Finally, we we um, we allowed to come up to um, the big ship, American ship. And then they um, we were very happy, you know. And um, so we got out there. But then my they told my dad. That's the first time I ever saw my dad cry too. Mm. That he had to strip his clothes. He cannot wear his uniform. Mm. Not even his, you know, the um, that he earned his rank. Mm -hmm. you know, he said he cannot keep any of that. You. Because I think it's probably because they just want to make sure that my dad is not a communist or not a spy or whatever, you know, whatever the protocol that they yeah. have there. But as long as we, my father cried, but he's happy, right. you know, and he said, well, fine, you know, that's what you want and it's okay, you know. He only have a t-shirt and a short because he always wears short underneath his, his right. uniform. Right. And um, so, you know. So that's what he, he that's what he got, and um, we went in, and then we stayed there. We stayed for a couple more days. They pulling us to, and from that ship, we went to um, the Philippine um, camp. As you can imagine, this is just the very beginning of Jenny's story. To hear the rest of her story, including how she and her family ended up first at Fort Chaffee, Arkansas, where much of Viet Gone takes place, and then in the Rochester area, listen to the next episode of the podcast, where we'll share the full interview. Up next, Peron Yusufzada is Viet Gone's director and is the former associate artistic director at Jiva. In fact, regular listeners of Out of the Rehearsal Hall will remember her as a frequent co-host of this podcast. Prone is the new producing artistic director of the Colorado Springs Fine Arts Center, but before she leaves Rochester, she's directing this incredible play. I asked Prone to talk about what about Viet Gone is most exciting to her. What I love about the play Viet Gone is the way that it challenges a lot of conventional narratives with joy and playfulness and buoyancy. I think we are conditioned to seeing um, stories about global majority characters and communities as stories of pain and trauma. And though the play is set in and around uh, the Vietnam War, what I uh, what I see Viet Gone to be is a story of joy and resilience and survival. Um, these characters are fun and funny, playful and sexy, smart, and, um, and most of all, I think, resilient. Um, and I, I don't think that happens very often in the American theater. And I think we need to see stories like Viet Gone um, more uh, in as we continue to um, reopen our theaters and return to in-person performance. Um, and on another level, I connect very much to Kui in the sense that um, we're both children of immigrants. And I love the way he tells his parents' stories through the 
pop culture references and genres that um, we grew up with and that for third culture kids like us also help us figure out how exactly to be American and what, um, what our place is in American culture. Um, so I find this play to be both um, a love letter to Queen's parents and also um, an homage to the upbringing of the third culture kid and the clumsy, difficult, um, and beautiful navigation of um, figuring out life here in America. And now I'm excited to bring you the cast of Viet Gone. I'll let them introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Gina Quintos, and I play Tong in Viet Gone. I'm based in New York City, and um, I am a first-generation Filipina-American queer woman. Has anything in this experience surprised you? Um, everything. <laughs> everything. Everything has surprised me in the greatest way. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't ask to be in a better room full of people who are also so dedicated and care so deeply about the work. Um, that, and that goes across the board. Um, our, our creative team, our cast, our stage management team, just our crew, everyone. Um, and, and that's so special. It's really special. And especially, you know, coming back from the year, 18 months, however long it's been, the time that we've had away from this, and um, also especially amidst the API, API hate that we've been experiencing in our country, you know, I'm not gonna lie, it's scary. It's scary to get up there. It's scary to be putting yourself up there as an Asian person. And, um, but at the same time, what a, what a privilege, what, what an honor to be able to represent our people and, and show up in a way that, that gives us humanity and tells our story. And I'm so proud. I'm so proud and I'm, and I'm so grateful for, for everyone who is so dedicated to, to making this, this beautiful production. And I'm really excited for you to see it. Hey there, my name is Andrew Christie. My pronouns are he, him, his. I'm playing Nian and Quay, and I'm an actor based in New York City. So the thing that excites me most is the fact that uh, this is an entirely Asian cast. This is the first time in my career I've ever um, been in a show with an entirely Asian cast. And I'm very excited to do a show by Kui uh, Nguyen, the playwright. He's very talented and I've always been a fan of this play. And I'm also excited about the fact that I get to do so much scene work because I am normally an actor who um, does a lot of musicals. That's sort of been the majority of what I've done in my career. So uh, I'm a little nervous, but uh, I'm up for the challenge of doing so much scene work in this beautiful play. 
and yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna knock it out of the park. Hopefully. <laughs> Hi, my name is Melody Butiu. My pronouns are she, her. I play the role of Hung, Tu, and a couple of other characters. And I am from Manhattan Beach, California. And the last time I was in Rochester was in 2003 when I did a play at the Jiva called 36 Views. I consider myself very lucky because this is actually the second time I've gotten to uh, do the play Viet Gone and to play this particular role. And um, what's exciting about that is I get to uh, explore the play with an entirely uh, different group of artists, an entirely different uh, production team and theater. And um, it's so cool to see the different ways that uh, people can approach the play and the different things that um, we bring to it. Uh, even though I've played this role before, I feel like I am able to explore it in a different way because especially with this past year and a half, I am a different person than I was three years ago. You know, uh, the things that I've experienced, the, um, the people that I've connected with, and, um, and that's really exciting uh, because, of the, because of Perone, our director, and her interpretation and how we're staging it, um, I'm able to um, find new things to deepen, to deepen my work on these characters, but also play in a different way. Uh, I have different things to play with. I have certainly different people to work off of, um, but I'm able to like find uh, and discover um, new new things, new insights, um, and that's and that's been really fun and exciting. And um, yeah, I think that's what I have to say about that. <laughs> Hi, this is Kurt Ui. I'm playing Huang Win uh, in Jiva's Viet Gone or Quang Win. Um, and my pronouns are he, him, his. Um, there are uh, so many things that I'm excited about uh, in terms of being a part of this production. Um, but the, the major ones have to do with representation. Um, not just representation in that this is a story with uh, you know, an all-Asian cast. Um, and um, it's, a, it's an Asian and Asian-American story. But um, one of the things that's interesting to me about this particular story is that it is not just, uh, it, it's a story about um, starting again, right? It's a story about um, coming through um, adversity and tragedy and um, losing everything and um, finding the perseverance and the courage to start again. And what, what I, I think about a lot in this room is, is what would this play have been like um, if it had gone up um, as scheduled? Um, and I feel like it's just a very different story now at the end of, um, of this long first part of this pandemic situation that has affected everyone. Uh, so many things have happened to all of us. And, and, a, and a story that talks about um, starting anew with hope um, is, is one that I'm super excited about. And the second part of this that, that I'm super excited about is, is I, don't, uh, I don't often play these types of characters, these 
dashing, romantic, leading men. Um, and and um, it's just an exciting thing to explore and and have the opportunity to do. And, and, uh, and, um, and you know, uh, yeah, it's just exciting. Hi, everybody. My name is Hansel Tan. I am an actor from New York City. I was born and raised in Singapore. My pronouns are he, him, and his. And I will be playing the roles of playwright, Zai, Bobby, Captain Chambers, redneck biker, and hippie dude for Chiba Theater Center's production of Viet Gone. What I love most about this play is that it's a play about love. Um, it's not a play about war. It's not a play about violence. It certainly includes these elements, but at its core is an examination of the tenacity of the human spirit to reach out and connect with one another despite the various atrocities that could be happening in the world around them. And like any good piece of art, love is a creative act. And so, you know, in this play, we get to see the various kinds of loves between mothers and daughters. We see the love between two best friends. We see um, the love between two individuals who couldn't be more different than each other. Um, their lives both destroyed by the Vietnam War. And we also get to see um, love as a form of playmaking, as a form of theater making. Um, and I hope you will find uh, a version of that love we extend to you as we come and welcome you back into the performance space together as an audience, together as a unit. I think that is very, very special. It's not something that surprised me, but it's something that, has, that I've been reminded of is that coming back to this, it has felt up to this point that there is a key element missing Every time you go on stage and do a scene, every time you walk away, there is, there is a, a, a final missing piece. And I'm wondering what that missing piece was for a long time. And it just struck me today that the final missing piece is you, the audience. We're the ones who are doing this for, and this show will not be complete without us together witnessing this. So please come and check us out. Um, I'm very, very excited to have all of you back in the room again. Um, and let's let's share this wonderful story together. Thank you for listening to this special prologue edition of Out of the Rehearsal Hall. I hope it's given you a little insight into Viet Gone and the incredible work you'll see on the Wilson stage. Speaking for myself, it's been just incredibly rewarding to be the dramaturg for this production and to be in the room during the rehearsal process. Out of the Rehearsal Hall is a podcast production of Jiva Theater Center in Rochester, New York. I'm Jenny Werner. Special thanks to all of our guests today. Andrew Mark Wilhelm composed our theme song, and he and I edited our audio. If you enjoy this episode, please consider leaving a review for us on your podcast platform and share it with your friends. Thanks for listening today, and we'll see you next time we're out of the Rehearsal Hall. Mm-hmm.